There ain't no rest for the wicked. Money don't grow on trees. I got bills to pay. I got mouths to feed. There ain't nothing in this world for free. I can't slow down. I can't hold back. Well, you know, I wish I could. Well, there ain't no rest for the wicked until I close my eyes for good. Sign, sign everywhere, sign, blocking up the media, making my mind. Do this, don't do that, can't you hear the sign? The sign says, I got to put the membership card to be inside. can't hear me. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Someone said they couldn't hear me. Okay, good. And I'm not roboting right now, right? The robot sound, sound is gone. Because I think I fixed that somehow. I clicked on a thing and it fixed it. I haven't had that problem for a couple of episodes. I'm very happy about that. Good, good, good. Hello, everyone. I know it's been a while. I've been out of town. Sort of took a break. Honestly, I was feeling a little gassed, so it's nice to do a recharge. Uh, talk a little bit about the rest of the three-body problem, although honestly, I don't know. The book did not really impress me that much. I got to say, a lot of it is down to just the, the prose. I get it. It's not an English-language book, and it's been translated, and it's a different context, but it's honestly, some parts are slug to get through. Uh, and the ideas are interesting. I'll probably read all the books because they keep saying that they get crazier as they go on. So I'm going to read the rest of them. Uh, but the first one, it really did just seem like more set up than anything. So just to recap, uh, when we last talked about it, they set up the situation where China, since the uh, Cultural Revolution, was looking for sending out signals to aliens. And they actually got a response. And then this lady who basically had been traumatized by the Cultural Revolution and said, fuck you, Earth. Fuck you, humans. Uh, we're going to tell these aliens to come and kill all of us. Uh, and now there's, now, the current day, there's this secret society of people who've been in contact with this alien civilization who plan to come to Earth. It's going to take them 400 years to get here, and they're going to wipe us out and take over. Because they live a a planet that is captured by a solar situation where instead of being in a stable uh, relationship to one celestial body like Earth, they are trapped between three stars, three stars, uh, and then they're, and as such, are captured by the three-body problem, which is that when you get two celestial bodies in a relationship with one another, they have very predictable uh, paths. Uh, but if you add a third one, it becomes impossible to predict. There is no uh, rhythm to it. It's just it's essential randomness. And so that means that this these poor aliens and this poor society have gone through hundreds and hundreds of civilizations 
get getting to a points of uh, of development and then just being destroyed because eventually the sun just shows up and cooks everything or pulls the pulls the planet apart. And somehow, though, and this is really the thing that strains credulity the, the credulity the most, they are at the time that they're in contact with Earth. They are an advanced civilization that has somehow been able to build on all of those previous civilizations uh, and is in the lookout for a new home since they are waiting eventually for that situation to degrade and to get absorbed by one of these flailing uh, suns. And is it Bennywoff and Weiss are doing it? Oh, hell yes. Those guys. Well, at least this will be a contained narrative, right? Like, they don't have to worry about having to go beyond what the author has written. So, And we know that that was their real problem, because as much as the, those last seasons are dog shit, when they were here, adhering to the, the books, uh, I can't say that I didn't enjoy them. And it... The, the, the whole book basically just sets up this situation, and then it ends. So, I've got to read the next one now, which I am. I just started it. When I finish it, I'll talk about it, maybe. But for now, I'm not that interested. And it is, uh, yeah, it's a little a little hard to get through the prose, i got to say. Uh, so far, though, like, in terms of interesting ideas, the, the, the stuff in the three-body problem, the, a, a big point that seems to be made is that you cannot assume that there will be any continuity between human experience and the experience of a different uh, conscious life form that would emerge out of different scenarios. Uh, and I gotta say, uh, the, the premise of, oh, aliens would just treat us like bugs it's kind of undermined by the fact that they're in direct contact with humans because you say, Oh, to, to us, they would, we would appear like bugs, but we don't talk to bugs. We don't write letters to bugs saying you're bugs. Like the fact that we can't communicate with animals is one of the things that makes us able to differentiate ourselves and imagine ourselves in a superior position. The whole point here is that they are in constant human conflict or contact. So, I don't know. doesn't seem like you could really sustain that. But I don't know. We'll see. It's very... I gotta say, it's interesting that the time scales they went with, went with in this. Because by the end of the first book, humankind is now aware that, okay, there's this alien invasion fleet, and it's coming. And it's gonna be here in 450 years. And that is kind of an interesting question. Like, how do you deal with that? But I don't know. As an American, it seems weird because, like, how many Americans think there's going to be anybody around for the aliens to kill in 450 years? Like, like we don't even have enough investment in the Earth as a continuing concern, regardless of where we are on the political spectrum. We, we all have our different uh, eschatological fantasies, our different ideas of why it's all going to fall apart. Uh, wokeness run amok, for example, being one of the genius theories. But there is a certain, certainly a conviction that transcends partisanship that says we're, we're not going to make it to 400 fucking years. Uh, there is one cool part, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read it, uh, that's 
sort of a, a ghost ship type deal where they use microfibers to just chop a, a boat in half and kill everybody on it. That's pretty cool. And I can imagine that being cool in a in a uh, in an adaptation, a, a live action version. So I will keep reading it and I'll keep people abreast. But I haven't really found much to sink my teeth into in that first one, I have to say. But uh, mostly just want to say hello. Hi. I hope people are re watching. Uh, I hope people are listening to Hell on Earth. It's finally out. I think it's going pretty well. I actually listened to it. I never was able to bring myself to listen to Hell of Presidents because I just, I sound so stupid to myself. I listen to myself and I'm like, shut the fuck up, make a point. And I get it's different if you haven't heard it, you know, but like for me, uh, I can't handle my, my uh, extemporaneous speech. But in this one, I've, we, since we wrote it, I've actually been able to, to bring myself to listen to it. And I gotta say, I think we did okay. I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out so far. I mean, it doesn't help that I have a very unpleasant voice, you know, just this incredible nasal honk. It's, much, it's helped that the Chris is there with his mellifluous, sonorous voice. Oh, thank you. It is wild that I became a professional broadcaster with my voice. Wouldn't have made it on radio days, that's for sure. There's not enough Margraves. Sorry. We'll try to find some more Margraves for you in the future episodes. It's just a marquee. It's just a German... It's the German uh, spelling and pronunciation of the marquee, which is also a... Uh, in French and, and English nobility. March. It's marcher. Around the border. It's like, hey, we gotta, we gotta secure this area from the Welsh or the Poles. And you secure it for us, and you get the feudal rights over the area. Yes, the Marquis. The Marquis of Queensborough. People are asking about video games, and I gotta say, I just have a hard time. I have a hard time with them. You can't do it. Rank the states of the Holy Roman Empire. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, well, Bohemia has probably got to be number one just because it's a kingdom. It's the only kingdom within the Holy Roman Empire. So that makes it, uh, I mean, that's just pimpish right there. I mean, Bavaria is cool, of course. You got the beer drinking and whatnot, but they didn't even get an electoral title until after the 30 years. They didn't get, even get an a, a electoral vote until after the war. Lame. Pathetic. If you can't vote for the emperor, what are you even doing?
Well, the Bohemians went back to being Catholic because they got too cocky. It's really, they have no one else to blame but themselves. They started the entire thing by throwing those dudes out the window. And it got them having even their little precious ultraquist church taken from them. Getting cocky with it. George Santos would not be a prince of the Holy Roman Empire. He would be uh, a guy who borrows a bunch of money to start an army and then just like leaves with the strongbox and then lets them all riot and mutiny, which happened a lot. He could definitely be a bishop. That was a great job for a complete scam artist. So somebody says, and I've thought about this actually, why is there so little media set in the early modern era? And I do think it's because it is this weird dog's breakfast liminal space between modern concepts of, of society and uh, organization and, and military conflict and the medieval feudal era. Like you've got like battles in, during the, the 30 years war, for example, guys showed up with fucking suits of armor and like uh, maces and stuff. And also there's a bunch of guys with guns. That's it's, it's, it, it hits the eye wrong. It's, it's, it's uh, for an audience that is not uh, able, that doesn't know about, you know, this period, it just feels like a bunch of anachronisms smashing into one another. People much prefer high, if they're going to do that era, they want to do high middle ages, not knights, all that shit. Yeah, somebody, this is perfect. Somebody, you either want Braveheart or the Patriot. You don't want both. And that era really is both. It's got both that. It's got all that stuff at once. Yeah, like stuff that happens during early modern is almost all uh, like about uh, it's Shakespeare or like Elizabethan court drama. That's about it. And there, you know, that could realistically be any time. Because it's still a bunch of people in absurd outfits sitting around. Oh, somebody's asking about Catherine Medici. We kind of sped over it because the French Wars of Religion, as we said on the show, could be its own series. Uh, and it's very, very Game of Thrones. It's, it's got all your gambo twists and turns that you'd want. All, tons of Red Wedding-style situations. Uh, but as a result, you know, you kind of have to glance over it. But suffice to say that she was the regent for her sons, and they were all kids or do dopes and and she was basically running the show. 
until towards the end when her, her son, Henry III, uh, actually did assert himself. And then got uh, fucking assassinated for his trouble. So, maybe you should have listened to Mom. The idea of a guy in knight's suit of armor charging up to an infantry formation, shooting a pistol, and riding away. That was one of the innovations of the Dutch. It was... Uh, it was a technique where you would have a line of horsemen just go up, ride up to the uh, the opposing infantry, fire their pistol, then run, run then uh, ride back in like a like a uh, like a hook formation. The caracol, that's it. Yeah, we are going to have guests. We're going to have a supplementary appendix series of interviews when we're done. To kind of fill in some of the blanks, like we're going to have uh, uh, Patrick Wyman is going to be on to talk finance, to talk the the uh, the, the economic revolution, uh, and we'll have a few more. We haven't lined everybody up else yet, but uh, it'll be good because, and we, we're going to have Eleanor Janega on to talk about like daily life, which we don't really get to on the show, you know, like how. It was to actually live during this period. Um, and then we got a few more. So we're, I, I'm happy about that because even as I'm enjoying listening to it, I note where we miss stuff. I note where, like, we've... But, you know, if we're going to have a thing that holds together as a narrative, it's going to have to... It's going to be mostly a, a project of uh, kicking things out and maintaining sort of a streamlined shape. But these the interviews will give us a chance to, for things that people have more questions about, address them. And then we hope to do a bonus episode at the end of the whole thing that will be a question and answer. Uh, we'll solicit questions for people who have specific uh, uh, clarifications. Uh, I don't know if Hell of Presidents will ever be put on Patreon. I do know that if you go to a certain website where you can watch videos uh, and you put it in there, you might find it. Uh, it is wild how few movies there are about this period, someone's asking. There's this movie, The Last Valley, with Michael Caine that is pretty bad, if anyone's ever seen it. It's got a few moments. It's, it's generally, though, kind of embarrassing. Uh especially Michael Caine's German accent, which is one of, like, two times in his entire career he tried to do anything other than sound cockney. But there's stuff during the period, but not that event, really. You know, it's very interesting that way. This, 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 this convulsion, you know, that took over half the continent never really became a... Uh, in America, certainly, but, like, even... I mean, I'm wondering, are there German films? i got to assume that Germans made some movies about it, but I've never seen one. Yes, Pornhub. That's the website I'm referring to.
Yeah, Germans get slept on. I mean, it really is the crucible for much of modernity there. And uh, the Thirty Years' War and its result and its consequences are really a big part of the reason that Germany ends up not being the place where modernity is fully baked. There is a Martin Luther movie. I've never seen it, though, starring Joseph Fiennes as Martin Luther. It's just called Luther. I haven't, I haven't heard anything good about it, but it does exist. Wait a minute, there's a TV... Oh, okay, I was confused. Yes. The Idris Alba show. That's not actually about Luther. Hilarious. The only movie I know of that's really about... That really does a good job of dealing with the mercenary uh, warfare, not of this period, but the generalized like mercenary warfare of, of, uh, of the era and, and going earlier is Paul Verhoeven's Flesh and Blood, if anyone has seen that. That's about... Uh, uh, Rudger Hauer plays a mercenary captain in the Italian Wars who's, like, moving around his, his loyalties. and One of the things that made the Italian Wars so horribly uh, wasteful is that there were plenty of opportunities for one side or another to gain something like a... Uh, victory that were thwarted by the fact that it was not in the interest of any of these mercenary captains who were known as condottieri, which is Italian for contractors, uh, to end the war. Uh, and it was also not in their interest to risk the armies that they had put together in open battle. So they would just sort of dick around and despoil the countryside for long periods of time. And that is one of the real downfalls of the city, the Italian city-state model, which otherwise F did a lot to build uh, economic institutions that were incredibly precocious for the period. But they also ended up having to rely on foreign military uh, contractors and mercenaries because their you know base population was all busy making fucking money. And so then the big boys came down and just fought over it for a hundred years and all that energy moves up the Rhine. Star forts are cool. It's true. If you've ever been to uh, a place that's got them, they're pretty neat. You got that angled bastion. That's right. There is this Spanish movie called Captain Alistair. Uh, that's, there's also, is there a battle? It's about Rocroyo, right? Which is, or Rocroy, rather, sorry. 
the Battle of Rocroi was uh, between the French and Spanish and is sort of considered the the last stand of the Tercio, the Spanish Tercio formation before it had to be uh, uh, phased out. Ooh, what country would I want to live in during the Thirty Years' War? Well, the easy answer is the United Provinces. Uh, because the Thirty Years' War is happening at the exact same time as the Dutch Golden Age. They're technically fighting a war for their survival with Spain, but the uh, lines of that battle are well away from uh, Amsterdam, for example. They spend the entire war making money. The, the, the tulip mania... Uh, that is famously considered, you know, the first modern speculative bubble occurs during the Thirty Years' War. That's how fucking mint things were in the United Provinces. They could speculate on fucking tulips instead of have to worry about an army coming in and despoiling the countryside and making them all starve for the winter. Because that's technically a place that's involved in the war, but has very little danger of involving any of the actual fighting. Yes, the Calvinism is a bummer. But even there you have, you know, other stuff happening because one of the things that Calvinism does is, is that it creates this space between church and state by necessity. Because, you know, they're they're the the, the congregations are jealously guarding their uh, control over church discipline, which means the state ends up becoming alienated to a degree. That's why you get, even at the time that you got all these psycho-Calvinists, the Netherlands also becomes known for this hot as a place where religious nonconformity is allowed. Uh, in fact, that's one of the big reasons that the pilgrims, many of whom went to the Netherlands to escape oppression by uh, the Anglican church, end up coming to the New World, not because they were being oppressed in the Netherlands, but rather that it was too fucking permissive in the Netherlands. And yeah, they got Spinoza there. Imagine chiefing loud with Spinoza. Do I wish if I, I could dress up as a fancy little doppelsonder with a cool arquebus and a big feathered hat? I think that's obvious. Yes. In fact, I wore the feathered hat and the neck ruffle uh, to the live show we did in New York uh, where we recorded a supplementary bonus uh, prequel episode that we will be releasing. Oh, where would I least like to live? Oh, well, obviously Germany. Uh, but on, but not all of Germany hit, got hit as bad. I'd say Bavaria would be where I would like to avoid. The, the area between Bavaria and uh, uh, Bohemia, that like kind of south, south central area, no thank you. That was just getting rid back and forth 
over and over again. Elsace also. Just constant armies tromping back and forth. Uh, also, the uh, um, the Virginia colony would be no fun. Uh, New England was actually thriving during this period, and it was one of the few places where Europeans were doing better uh, than uh, average, and were having like eating more than they they uh, would have been otherwise. Uh, but Virginia at that point was was fucking brutal. They didn't really get their shit together until the second half of the century. Oh man, there's so many people who we don't get to, to mention in this series that I think should be shouted out. I, I, I'm always listening and being like, damn it. We should have talked about that person. Let me think of some though. I always assumed the Croatan thing was just that they they left. They're like, fuck this, and they went off with some Indians. Uh, you look at the Dutch, and they definitely, being the first, has definitely paid off for them. They got to hand off their hegemony to the English. They took a bit of a haircut in the 19th century specifically. Like they, the, There was a decline in living standards, but not anything like super dramatic. Uh, and then in the 20th century, they got all those colonial super... Yes, they got occupied by the Germans, but, you know, uh, World War II, everybody had to take it on the chin in Europe at that point. But ever since, they have been, they've been fucking cruising. And it seems like they're not racked as much with the misery of having lost an empire the way the English are, probably because it happened so much longer ago. But it does seem like the British, who did get off relatively uh, cleanly, are in the process of destroying themselves out of this perverse uh, sadomasochistic rage at having lost their primacy in world affairs. Yeah, like they they had another they had uh, Indonesia. They did all kinds of uh, uh, colonial crimes over there. And now, and also thanks to their engineering genius, even though they're below sea level. They don't really have to worry about climate change because if anybody is going to figure out a way to not get swallowed by the ocean, it's going to be the Dutch. Yeah, they've got right-wing anti-immigrant sentiment, sure. Of course, everyone does now. That's 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 unavoidable. But they're also not like self-consciously uh, 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 
disassembling their state the way that the English are. Yeah, the Dutch fire, the Dutch farmers are are rebelling uh, to save uh, their right to do farming or whatever the hell. I don't know. The Dutch did kick our ass in the in the in the World Cup. It's true. I'm trying to think of somebody I missed. How they get so tall is a very good question. They are the tallest people on earth. I believe the average height. The average height. This might be wrong. Look it up because I know a lot of shit in my head that isn't true. There's a lot of stuff I know that is incorrect. I think the average Dutch... I'm going to look it up before I even say it. So I don't want to sound like an idiot. Average Dutch height. Well, thank you for giving it to me in centimeters. I don't know what the fuck that means. Okay, yes. 6'1". Six 6'1". One. Six one. The average height of a Dutch man is 6'1". That is insane. And I've been there, and I've seen it. It's wild. As a uh, as a tall person, I get used to being the tallest person in a room. And when I'm and I see people who aren't, even though I don't want to, I get just like reflexive, kind of like ah. And I kind of like stand up straighter. It's it's, it's I'm nothing I'm proud of, but it's definitely a, a real thing. And I would just be like you know in a bar or something, and just look at these these fucking treat just giant blonde guys. I guess yeah. I guess all the short Dutch people got drowned by the. By the uh, by, the levees and the dikes and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I guess they've been eating calcium, or I guess they've been eating protein uh, longer than anybody. Ooh, this is a very interesting question. What's the stupidest accent? I obviously it doesn't mean when I think of that, it, it doesn't mean like actually stupid, like indicative of stupidity. I'm just saying from my I'm I'm thinking of it as subjectively, when I hear someone talking that way, the more I assume they're stupid, and the more uh dissonance it is when they say something that isn't stupid. And somebody yelled Long Island, and that might be number one. It's certainly high. I, the Long Island accent, it's, it's just, it's very hard to imagine anyone sounding like that and who's not a fucking moron. Uh, I actually think like that weird mid-Atlantic, uh, like Baltimore, Pittsburgh, or, uh, Philadelphia thing with the, with the small mouth, you know, I think that's cute. I don't think that's dumb. 
Boston is not a stupid accent. It is a dickhead accent. It makes me think that you're an asshole. But again, that's just media stereotypes. Like people say the South, and some Southern accents, obviously, you know, they talk slow. And, but I don't know. There's something about Long Island. It's like a, it's like a conscious, willed in, ignorance. Of course, not true, but it's my uh, it's my own uh, prejudice. I mean, the accent of my people, I think, is pretty stupid sounding. Like, uh, the northern northern Midwest accent. Uh, I mean, Fargo, for example, like those people don't sound that smart. Yeah, that's this is a good point that the, the the Wisconsin Minnesota accent is the opposite of the Boston accent in that you assume the person is at least superficially nice. And I would say that like Midwest nice is real, but it is of course not authentic because nothing is, you know, everyone's everyone's performance of self is is to some degree self-conscious and and, and uh, uh, being triangulated between the people that you know and your expectations but it, I do feel like Midwestern niceness is a weapon that is pointed inward uh, at the, at the person who is being nice as opposed for example to southern niceness which is a weapon pointed outward uh, at the person who it's being uh, wielded at. I mean, the California accent is pretty dumb. I mean, California speak with the, the uptalk and everything is associated in many, with, with all of the cliches of, of vapidity and empty headedness. Oh, the Chicago accent. Oh, my God. We love that one. Freaking Chicago. I'm going to have some bullish sausage. Watch the Bears game. Chicago really is New York if they'd gotten Polacks instead of Jews. Yeah, Alaskans do sound like they're from the upper Midwest. I, I mean, it's just something about the latitude. I don't know. Oh, no. Somebody asked what the best accent you can do. I am the worst judge because I think I do a few accents very well. And many people tell me, insist to me that I do them very terribly. So I, I give up. I, I have no I have no faith in my own work anymore.
the Pacific Northwest is the place where there really isn't an accent because it's the last place people, white people anyway, showed up. It's the last place that you have like a real concentration of people. So it is, everyone's from everywhere else. And so it flattens out and it's, it's concomitant with mass media. Oh man, so the old-timey Mid-Atlantic accent, my one of my favorite accents of all time, it was not a native accent. It was not an accent that existed anywhere. It was an accent that was taught to actors and broadcasters. It was considered a classy way to speak if you were going to be on the radio, for example. And so that accent from early movies and, and, and radio stuff, that is a thing that they made up because they're like, people are going to be hearing this and we don't want to sound like yokels. So they, they thought this thing up that's kind of English but isn't uh, and became a accent that people got in the media but that no one in their day-to-day lives actually spoke. It's not really British, though, is the thing. That's why it is the transatlantic accent, because it's not quite British. Because it does not resemble specifically any actual existing British accent. Maybe Catherine Hepburn. She might have been the only native speaker of, of transatlantic English. There's probably a few pockets of Connecticut where people uh, people were able to put that together. Now see here, Basta. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America and all our ships at sea. Well done, press. This is interesting. Someone is saying that Australian news people have a fake accent. And I can believe that because if there's any group of people that are probably collectively embarrassed of the way they talk, it's got to be Australians, right? Because you want to talk an accent that kind of makes you sound dumb. Right, here we are. Good evening. Local news. Crocodile got loose. It's running rampage and all over the place. Our nair. The way they say no is so funny. Nair. Uh, there was a comedian, I think his name was Sean Cullen, that I used to watch when I was absorbing Comedy Central bits instead of a personality as a teenager, who had a good joke where he pointed out that there's no Australian Bond villain because you couldn't take him seriously. James Bond, going to kill you right now. It's going to happen. You're going to die. No one believes that. I do hope we get to tour Australia at some point and just do their dumb voices at them until they have a riot. Ooh, crayon. I say crayon. Many people who I grew up around say crayon. It's like one thing. Or crayon, rather. A lot of people say crayon. I say crayon. I always said crayon. I always said crayon. But I'm weird. I say February. I say the R in February, the second R. Wait a minute. 
The first star. No, I see this is very interesting. Someone says, Do you say pop? No, I say I said soda. And this is a weird quirk in Wisconsin. I don't know if anybody else could back me up here if they're from there, but the counties next to Lake Michigan, up and down, because I'm not from Milwaukee, I'm from like an hour north of Milwaukee, but I'm on the water. The counties next to Lake Michigan, I don't know about Door County, but like up until like the, the middle of the of the state, say soda. But as soon as you get inland, like the rest of the Midwest and everyone, everything like to the Pacific Ocean, they say pop. Very weird. I used to think it was a Catholic Lutheran thing, but now I have no idea. He do the, Did Sean Cullen do the bit about R.E.M. singing the Bond song? Yes, and also Dylan. Yeah, it was a great bit. I do have to say, I'm biased because I grew up saying soda, but pop sounds dumb to me. You sound like a child. Okay, I don't think I say bagel weird, though. That's right. I say it normal, right? I don't even know how the, what the Wisconsin bagel is. Because that's I just I just said bagel normal right bagel that seems see that comes that's not intuitive at all to me I feel like I should I grew up there but I don't say bagel I say bagel or bagel bagel oh god damn it now I'm in my head how do I say it bagel I'm gonna get some bagels now I don't know how I say it. Bag. Yeah, I'm saying it weird now. I don't even know how to, how those how how to say it anymore. About. Now I'm saying bagel, bagel, right? Bagel. There it is. That's how I say it, and that's normal, right? Bagel. Okay, good. I knew it. I knew I said it normal. You guys got my head. I say it normal. It's a bagel. Fuck off. Never calling it a bagel. That's not That's not how I roll. We did call water fountains bubblers. Apparently, Wisconsin and Western Massachusetts are the only places that do that, and it's because of a uh, company that had a certain branded water fountain that was found in the region. Uh, also, the only places in the U.S. that have Cranberry bogs. Oh, Rhode Island also? Oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Australia's call, calling them bubblers too? Bubbler. Hey, we're going to get a drink at Bubbler. Going to go get a drink at the Bubbler. Yeah, right. Going to go down to the... Going to have a drink down at the Bubbler. That's content right there. Just saying bubbler over and over again in an Australian accent. Oh, it was always a cock pot. A crock pot. I don't know what the fuck a slow cooker is. It was a crock pot. You motherfuckers eating snow? Eating out of slow cookers? Get the fuck out of here. It's a goddamn crock pot. The weirdest one, though, and I honestly don't know if this was just my hometown. But we called sloppy joes were called hot tamales.
Yeah, we're talking white people shit right now. This is we're we're, we're real white people hours right now. Clicker, it's the clicker. The remote is the clicker. Also, they were called tennis shoes, not sneakers. Yeah, the hot dish thing is more Minnesota. I never heard anybody talking about a hot dish. I certainly heard about people cooking in a crock pot, though. What did we call immigrants? Buddy, you don't want to know. The only minorities in my hometown growing up were uh, Hmong refugees uh, from the Vietnam War. And it's amazing. They had every single uh, stereotype associated with uh, uh, black people or uh, Latin American immigrants elsewhere. One of the things that really taught me early on that it was mostly bullshit because it's like, this is a coincidence. All these people from all these different parts of the world all have the exact same cultural character defects. Cricks. It's a crick, not a creek. Mostly, Chapo's mostly Midwest, except for Will, who's the fancy uh, Upper West Side New York boy. But everybody else is from some Midwestern state. How do I pronounce beer? That's not a weird one. It's beer. How else do you say beer? Milk? Who says milk? I guess I've heard some people say milk, but I don't say milk. I say milk. And yes, crayfish, not crawfish. Core Warsh, who who the hell's the, that thing with the unnecessary R is very interesting. Washington, where specifically is that? Because I don't even know if it really corresponds to a specific geographic area. It's, it's like more idiosyncratic. I don't do that. I'm normal. I don't add an R. Okay, so it is just more weirdos who like individually do it rather than a re reproduced regional accent.
Texas, apparently. Interesting. They say washed in Texas. And Iowa, too. See, this is all over the place. I know that Pittsburgh Pittsburghers say, my car needs washed, which honestly just sounds like you've had a head injury. Like, you should go to the doctor if you say something like that. They should give you an MRI. Pittsburgh is one of the funnest accents. Definitely. Go downtown. Go see the Pittsburgh Steelers play downtown. The fact that they say jag off, delightful. The app, the Paris of Appalachia. See, I can't do it. Fine, whatever. Fuck off. I don't know. I'm just trying. I'm just down, downtown. That's what I said. Fuck off. I do feel like Jagoff should be more universally applied. That should get out of the Pittsburgh ghetto and become nationalized. Is Jabroni really a Pittsburgh thing? Interesting. I didn't know that. Somebody asked an interesting question. What if the British, what if the U.S. had never revolted against England? And the fact is, it's just, that's going to happen at some point. And the thing that's going to make it happen, inevitably, it's not slavery like the 1619 people say. It's not uh, taxes and uh, and tea duties like the the, the history books say, so the, the, like the elementary school, like uh, high school history is. It's the proclamation of 1763. That guarantees some sort of conflict between the colonists and England because it put the colonial interests in expansion and direct conflict with England's presiding national interest in restraining migration and restraining westward expansion of, of colonists. Uh, that was certainly the thing that pissed off George Washington the most, whose entire career was based on land speculation and required that... Uh, that's frontier to continue going out if he was going to keep making that fucking money. But there, but for the English, like it was a cost-benefit analysis that told them it, it is too expensive for us to garrison this frontier. When, especially since we're not going to be getting the majority of the the output here, like this isn't going to be coming to to England. So they had a, they had a very vested interest in restraining. Westward expansion. And westward expansion would not be restrained. And I do think that that is one of the signal problems of the 1619 Project, is in order to make their case, they have this incredibly specious argument that it was uh, English pressure uh, and threat to end slavery that led to the American Revolution. And that is you're literally reversing time there to try to take later a later emancipatory push, which only makes sense in the context of Napoleonic Wars anyway, and applying it uh, to an era when it has nothing to do, when it is not anybody anything anybody's on the talking anybody has on the table. Like ending slavery for the English was part of their 
geostrategic great game with France. This is something that uh, CLR James talks a lot about in the Black Jacobins. And they were able to replace enslaved labor in their uh, colonies with uh, indentured labor from India at that point, which they would not have been able to do during the American Revolutionary Era. But they did have a vested interest in restraining colonial immigration westward. And it would not be restrained. None of the forces, none of the burgeoning concentrations of capital in America uh, would have seen that happen. Right, exactly. The U.S. pivoted to India after they lost the colonies. Like that entire thing is predicated, the entire turn against slavery is predicated on them losing the colonies in the first place. I have not read the Dominion of the Draca books, but I did like one time find out about them and I like through clicking on Wikipedia and I did like read the lore and I was intrigued by the idea. Very nerdy, old history stuff where South Africa becomes like turbo Nazi Germany because it gets all of the defeated royalists from World War, from the American Revolution and all the defeated, defeated Confederates after the Civil War and just becomes like this uh, self-conscious white murder state that becomes super highly technologically advanced and then uh, beats both the Nazis and the Allies in World War II. But of course, what that is silly because those white states that we actually got were pretty lame and uh, got their asses kicked relatively easily. Is there a single good movie about John Brown? Not to my knowledge. I mean, there aren't that many either. The Road to Santa Fe with Van Heflin and Ronald Reagan, as uh, I believe he plays Custer in that movie. Uh, the Ethan Hawke one was bad, I will say it. I know some people liked it. I found it uh, pretty shitty myself. Yeah, exactly. If there's a good John Brown movie, it's just Avatar. Isn't it weird that we all learned about Peter Stuyvesant in elementary school? 
or maybe junior high. I've thought about this because we, we mentioned him a little bit on the on the on the Hell on Earth. Why why so do we not all learn this? Because to me this was a this was a guy who was always in every uh every single American history textbook. He had a peg leg and he was the Dutch colonial governor of New Amsterdam who turned over uh the, the colony to the English. It surrendered to them basically. You guys didn't hear Peter Stuyvesant? I wonder if this is a generational stuff thing. And Peter Stuyvesant is a guy who's just like in the curriculum up through like the middle of the 20th century. And so anybody who went to a public school, specific, certainly up until like 1990, got Peter Stuyvesant or, or 95 or something. And that now in the 21st century, they've like streamlined the, 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 uh, curriculum and they got rid of him and I understand why because it's weird that we it's very weird that he is a guy that they got to tell you about or apparently they didn't they did not tell you guys about Peter Stuyvesant this is blowing my mind I just I have a, just a distinct memory of in my like sixth grade t uh, history textbook this painting of Peter Stuyvesant in a room like look looking angry well the Duke of York's flotilla is, is in the window behind him. Nobody learned about Peter Stuyvesant. Wow. He was a cranky old fuck. He also, uh, right before the British came and took New Amsterdam from him, he went down to Delaware and squatched and uh, took the, the Swedish colony. Uh, I am, yeah. Uh, uh, the Swedes had a colony, Delaware. And they filled it with Finns because the Finns, Finland was like a, a outpost of the, the nascent Swedish Empire there in the Baltic. And the, there were these like forest-dwelling Finns. Uh, and they were basically like pagans. Like they lived for, by with themselves. And so the Swedes decide, hey, these guys are perfect. We'll send them to the new world to like clear the land. They're, they're, they're woods people. So they send, they send these Finns to, to new Sweden. And as almost as soon as they make contact with the local native Americans, they just join them. They're just like, Oh, you guys like trees too. Cool. And then they just hang out. But yeah, you can thank uh, you can thank the Swedes for why Delaware exists. You can thank the Swedes for Joe Biden and uh, high credit card uh, interest rates, uh, unregulated insurance industry, tax haven. Oh, and uh, uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter. All of that you can blame on the Swedes. Fucking Chancery Court. Yes, if Delaware didn't exist, it would have to be created. It would probably be Rhode Island, because it's like it's not the only tiny state that that uh, could leverage, you know, its regulatory capacity as a uh, uh, value add in the market. It is the Switzerland of America. No, that's accurate. 
Delaware really has been floating on that uh, first state thing for a long time. Kind of embarrassing. You signed the Constitution first. Congratulations. It's funny. To the, the two tiny states are both notable in constitutional history. Delaware, first state, signed it first. Rhode Island refused to sign it. Uh, and it kind of had to be forced to sign it. And other states started yelling at, in their print media, yelling at Rhode Island for not signing the damn thing. In fact, they started calling it Rogue's Island because they wouldn't sign the fucking Constitution. And part of that is because Rhode Island was the most uh, Simon-pure Federalist stronghold, the one most hostile to uh, to any sort of democratic uh, governance, really. Uh, and that lasted uh, for a long time. In fact, it got so bad that there was eventually an armed rebellion in Rhode Island by a guy named John Doerr, known as uh, the Door War or Doerr's Rebellion. I'm sorry, Thomas Dorr. Uh, like these guys, they were they were trying to uh, expand the franchise, and the existing government wouldn't do it. So they rolled a fucking cannon up to the state house. Yes, the door ward. D O R R, not E R. The Jimmy Door War. They need to be embarrassed, though, about those New York System hot dogs. I got to say, I was very excited about the New York System hot dog when I heard about it, just from the name. Then I had one, and I was like, this is uh, this is only okay. Yeah, East Coast has small states because of when they were founded. They were founded by small groups of colonists who could settle X amount of territory on behalf of Y company with X charter. And then as capacity is built, the amount of land that gets uh, divvied up and the amount of settlers who are coming in to take that land is balloons. Feels like Rhode Island should have more seafood-based uh, foods, like that are notable and unique. I can't. What do they have? They should have like more. Like they should have their own type of chowder. Does Rhode Island have a chowder? Fried clams. You fry a clam. That, uh, wow, amazing. I mean, Maryland's got the blue crabs, so they have that. No seafood. No special seafoods. What the fuck, man? What the fuck? Column, chowder, I'm sorry. New England is too broad of a category. You should have claimed that shit. should have said Rhode Island clam chowder. Most useless state. That's a tough one. I, I When I think of, like, just garbage states, Indiana always comes to the top of my mind. Indiana called the crossroads of America because it's a place you go through to get somewhere more interesting. 
Delaware, I mean, the thing is, Delaware is generally useful, you know, two of the most evil people on Earth. Arizona's got the Grand Canyon. Come on. Have you seen the Grand Canyon? It really is pretty fucking amazing. Somebody asked the worst regional cuisine, though, and I'm thinking about that. I mean, the Midwest is going to be up there just because of how heavy it all it is. Without, like, the... I mean, like, southern and midwestern food will kill you. You know, it's all, like, a lot of meat and starch. But southern food, I don't know. There's, there's more spice. There's more uh, flavor. You know, I got all the different regional barbecues and stuff. Soul food. Whereas the Midwest, it's like... It's just like German, it's transported German food uh, and just casseroles and shit. Yeah, the Pacific Northwest doesn't have an accent, doesn't have a cuisine for the same reason. Ooh, Oklahoma. Ooh, I'm, Oklahoma is one of like th four states I've not been to and that should say something. I've I've been I have been as Johnny Cash said everywhere. I've at least like spent time in I think like 40 46 47 states. The only states that I've not like even put a foot in are Oklahoma, Nebraska, uh and I think South Carolina and Vermont. Those are the four. On the continent those freak states, they don't count. I guess, yeah, salmon. The Pacific Northwest would be salmon. For now. See how much longer that lasts. I know. I feel like I want to go to Vermont. We were in New Hampshire for the primary, and I kind of wanted to go to Vermont just while I was there, but I didn't have a chance. I mean, now that I've seen Tulsa King, though, I feel like I want a pilgrimage to see the place where Dwight, the general man, Freddy, and his uh, troops went to war with Black McAdam. Vermont is an interesting state just demographically. Um, like it's, it's poorer than New Hampshire and more left wing, even though poorer whites tend to be reactionary in their politics. It's not true in Vermont, maybe just because there's just white people there. I don't know, but it's a fascinating area. What do you think about modern disability politics, Bat? Wow, I'll end on that one. <laughs> I won't say too much. I don't want to. I don't want to. I mean, anyone who listens to this understands. I'm not going to get canceled. I just don't want to insult people. But I do think that uh, a lot of disability uh, politics is people desperately seeking a subaltern status. Uh, and I say that as somebody who is. I'm sorry, 
way more disabled than many of the people who I see make it the fulcrum of their political identity. And, you know, like they, they pitch it as like, well, I have to be the defender, you know, because of how of the of the of the trauma that my life has been trying to be different, disabled in this country. It's like, eh, not really. Not really. And you can't argue that you're part of a community because due to the incredible variety of what it counts to be disabled, I mean, my God, by certain definitions, you could say everybody is fucking disabled in one way or another, that there is no community to speak for. I sure as shit don't feel like I'm part of some community. And yeah, it's like, it does feel like it's an online phenomenon more than any expression of the real experience of people. Like, yeah, obviously, you know, uh, capitalism is at war with anybody who is not able to fit as a cog within it. That's true. Yes, read Caliban the Witch and all that. Uh, But as with most things, the way to fight that is to fight capitalism. And trying to uh, play gotcha with people for being uh, discriminating to discriminating against your disability of whichever one you have is—it's a recipe for the opposite of that. It's, it's really just a way for you to be the center of attention and for you to have a cudgel against other people. I just remember finding out that like a a uh, somebody who is like a, a big time disability rights person had type one diabetes, and I just thought that was funny. I didn't know there's new emotes. All I know is that as somebody who is, is really only thinks of their disability when forced to by these people trying to turn it into identity in a way that, I mean, identity politics themselves of all stripes are a dead end, including white ones, which like people who say, I hate identity politics and then are Republicans. It's like the Republican Party is just a giant ID poll factory, you fucking morons. It's a question of what the identity is. You get an option, you get a pick. Uh... But I have never felt that it is uh, a fruitful way to think of myself and to relate to the world around me. I remember I was in a, was a freshman in college, and uh, I had a cane at that point. I had gotten out of my wheelchair that summer, and I had like progressed from braces and uh crutches to one brace and one crutch to no braces and a cane. And I got rid of the cane by the end of my first semester. But during that first semester, I went, I had a cane and I was in a class, which was down a hill. And I had to walk up and down to the hill. I never t complained to anybody about it. it. Didn't occur to me. 
Uh, and I went to a class, and at the end of it, the professor stopped me as I was leaving and said, I want to apologize. And I was like, oh, for what? And he says, well, earlier in the in his lecture, he'd, he'd, he'd made a reference to someone stumbling around. And he thought that he, after he said it, he realized, oh, you know, this guy with the fucking cane, he might, he might be triggered by that. And I, it had not even, I mean, I, it had not even crossed my mind as he had said it. Like it had not registered to me. It had not related to me. There had not been an instinctive reaction to me. And I feel like that is where we are now. Everyone is. And they're not doing it on purpose. There's nothing else to do. So focused on ourselves as as the only uh, point of meaning in the world uh, that we're compelled to uh, relate everything to ourselves, and that means makes all communication and interaction a fucking minefield. So yeah, you got me you got me to go off there at the end. Thank you very much. But then again, maybe I'm just an Uncle Tom of disabled people. Maybe maybe I'm uh, I'm the Candace Owen of disabled people. All right. So I'll try to get back in the rhythm and do this next week. Maybe I'll have finished uh, The Dark Forest by then. Maybe not, but we'll talk about something. I'll figure something out. Bye-bye.